Welcome to another episode of The Business Baseline. This is the show where we talk to industry leaders, entrepreneurs, and DECA alumni to hear about their business journeys and help prepare as emerging leaders with a competitive edge in today's business landscape. My name is Jake Rudolph, and I'm one of DECA Ontario's branding and communication officers. And I'm Ryan Chang, currently serving as one of the media coordinators for DECA Ontario. So today we are thrilled to be joined by Jake Jardine. Jake is a former DECA Ontario Provincial Officer. He is the first Canadian president for Collegiate DECA, the former president of Canada's largest undergraduate association, DECA U, and is currently helping Shoelace grow their revenue through sales and marketing. So hello, Jake. We are so happy to have you on today's episode. How are you doing today? My pleasure. I'm um, excited to be here as well. Doing great. Great. So we're going to start with a few rapid fire questions just so that our listeners can get to know you better. Sounds good. Um, What is your favorite DECA competitive event? It would have to be Seed in DECA U. It's a startup pitch competition where the winner, uh, or at least when I was running it, got $1,000 cash for their startup. So that was always a fun one to do. All right, perfect. Um, Best piece of advice someone else has given you? Uh, If you're ever at a networking event, train yourself to hold your pop or your drink in your left hand because someone can come up and talk to you at any time. And if your right hand is completely dry, it's a better handshake and it's a good first impression. Oh, wow. What a pro tip. That's a good one. That's a good one. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's a next level one. (laughs) Among officers, we often have a common debate is pineapple on pizza good or bad? Oh, terrible, terrible. Bad isn't even close to describing how bad it is. Okay, oh, thank no. you. All right, another hot topic from a couple of years ago. Um, is water wet? Uh, I'm a philosophy minor, so don't get me into this one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Settle the debate for us, all right? I've had too many heated arguments over this. I go with no, water is not wet. It makes things wet. All right, perfect. And we'll wrap up our rapid fire questions with, uh, is there a celebrity that people always tell you that you look like? Uh, not really. Um, no, not really, actually. I haven't gotten the two. I knew Patrick Harris when I was younger a lot. I see that. Your smile. Your smile is on point. I love Neil Patrick Harris. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, wow. All right. Perfect. So, um, Jake, I guess that moves us into our DECA questions. All right. So um, our first one is, what is your favorite part of DECA? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the, the cliche uh, answer here, but uh, I promise it'll be worth it. It's the people. It's the people to you meet. I mean, uh, as much as you're building the skills, as much as you're learning and whatnot, like years down the road, it's the people and, and uh, that, that's really what makes the experience. But I, I do have a, a you know, because everyone says it's the people, uh, a little bit of an addition to that is I, I think it's one of the best spots when you're young to try things that, uh, you know, would generally happen in real life in business uh, in like a more safe environment. So like if you're the leader of a club or for example, this podcast that you guys are doing right now could be a legitimate business venture. It could make millions in a different context at scale, right? So DECA kind of creates a, an environment where you can, you know, try these things and fail and learn in a, in a lot safer environment than like a market. So. Mm-hmm. Can you retell us your strongest memory from DECA? 
Honestly, it was, it was probably when um, I won the the Quijadeca uh, presidency. I was I was the first Canadian to do so, and at the time there was a lot of resistance for me, even like mentally, to to go up and, and run a primarily American organization as a Canadian. It's it's one of the first things that I ever was like, I'm doing this for myself. I funded my own campaign. I flew out to uh, to Anaheim at the time, and. Uh, so much troubles running the campaign. My phone broke down, so I had no way to, to actually like campaign and connect with people. It was just road bar like barrier after barrier, and then uh, ended up winning at the end. So it was sort of, uh, and then that was my last active year in DECA. So it was a really good uh, way to, you know, sort of set uh, the end of the the DECA story as as an active member, right? Mm, yeah, that's amazing. And I know for like a lot of my friends, they think like the end of their DECA story is after high school, right? Your grade twelve year. Once you're finished uh, competing that year, you're done. But then you stuck around for quite a bit longer, and you like you did some incredible things after your high school experience. Um, could you like tell us a little bit about like what what drove you to stay even after your high school experience? Yeah, yeah, good question. I mean, I'm just gonna I'll go I'll go quickly over like you know uh, what my high school experience was because that's pretty important to like why I'd stay. Mm -hmm. For sure. um, I started in grade nine as a general member. Grade 10, I ended up being the president of my school. And then grade 11 and 12, I was the uh, I was on the Ontario provincial executive team, right? So I, I felt like I was I was pretty deep in at that point. So when I entered first year university, um, my role in all the teams ended up being something graphic design related. So I had the president of uh, DECA U reach out to me saying that they needed a designer. So I got to the point where I was like, uh, should I do it? Should I not? Uh, ended up going through with it. And uh, I, I learned a lot more actually being on that team than the, the high school team because uh, as I got into university and uh, a lot of people say this when they're, you know, executive of the university DECA club versus one of the high school ones is the, the freedom and the control and the way you run things, it's really up to you. So with me, it was, I kind of, you know, stayed involved because I had this opportunity to, uh, you know, stay in deck at a high level in university. But uh, it was probably one of the better decisions in my life because it's, again, it's this experience where you can figure out, like, how do you run an organization? How do you lead a group of people? How do you achieve the goals that you set out at the beginning of the year and whatnot? So we definitely agree, I think, from both of our experiences as well, especially in what we've seen so far being provincial officers that it's even just the small skills that you pick up through DECA and competition itself that really make that difference. So our next question for you is, what skills did you pick up from DECA that have helped you in your role at Shoelace right now? Mm -hmm. I think it is, actually, I'll, I'll give two answers to this. The soft skills, so being able to present, being able to talk about an idea, um, being able to walk into a meeting and know that at least what I want to say, I'm going to be able to try to get that out. Um, DECA is, it's kind of a pressure cooker for those skills. There's not many more stressful scenarios that someone, you know, our age would have to go through than sitting in front of a judge and saying, you studied for 10 minutes, this business problem. Now give me the solution to this. Like, I mean, if you can sound confident and you can talk through that, that's, that is a skill you're going to carry throughout your entire life. Right. And then it kind of goes along with that. It's, it's how to present and actually pitch ideas. Um, a lot of the ways that you would approach answering a question in a role play, it's directly related to what you're saying in a conference room, right? 
if you want extra budget for your team, you're probably going to present that the same way you would uh, some things in a case study. So the short answer is communication skills, but to elaborate, it would just be the soft skills like you know, public speaking, confidence, and then uh, the actual structuring of ideas and how to present them. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I totally agree with that because like um, throughout my deck experience, like I have done role plays and uh, the written events. So I know that like there's such a difference. Like I I also did team events, right? So like you have the 10 minute interval to prepare something. You have like the 30 minute interval and then you have like the three month interval. And it's, it's really, it definitely really is very different. And for sure, like I find when I did my uh, individual role plays with like the 10 minutes of preparation, like that's stressful. That's, that's, in, that's intense, right? Like you have to figure, you have to read everything, then you have to write out your solution. So yeah. Yeah. yeah and that's, the, the written, that's probably the closest you'll ever get to what a job is in real life, mm-hmm. right? You enter a company, there's a problem. It's how do you solve it? Well, all of us have that snap judgment, but realistically it doesn't end when you're done the presentation and the the judge ends up putting a score down you have to say like wait is that actually what i want to do how am i going to turn that into reality and yeah it's it's incredible it's an incredible experience yeah for sure and yeah like i know you've already covered a lot of like the amazing selling points of deca uh and i know a lot of people see deca as like a business organization sometimes they know about um, what we already do in our competition, but are, a lot are still on the fence, and especially this year, especially with like the situations and whatnot. So um, we're just wondering, like, if you knew someone and you had to convince someone who was on the fence of joining DECA today, what would you say? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. Well, first and foremost, I would tell them that uh, when I finish work on any given day. There's a group of probably eight members of my phone that I'll call a friend to talk to where five to six of them are deck people. Do you want a group of friends who are going to be incredibly smart, passionate, driven people who are joining this type of club? I mean, everyone says it, it brings like-minded people together. It brings the people who, when you say, oh, I want to change the world. I want to do something big with my life. They don't roll their eyes. They say, tell me about it. Right. Personally, those are the people I'd want to surround myself with. And, uh, that's that's the main selling point outside of all the hard skills all the traveling which maybe not this year uh but (laughs) all the traveling and experiences that you get um yeah it's 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 mainly the people and uh like-minded people yeah so the takeaway is is that DECA isn't where you go to compete it's who you are with that really makes the DECA experience So you just told us about how you want people to push you into bigger and better stuff. And you kind of gave us a little bit of insight that you're always looking for big ideas. Can you tell us more about your experience in in entrepreneurship? Let's start with uh, Tenfold's digital agency and how you came about founding that and what it is. Yeah, so this is a a funny story. So me and uh, it it would have been my roommates throughout most of the university. Uh, we actually met, met because one time we went to study together for a class and instead of studying for the class, we ended up talking about different fonts for about an hour, uh, which to, to most people, that would be the most boring, terrible conversation in the world. Most people stop at Times New Roman is okay and Comic Sans is bad and that's about it. We, we ended up spending uh, about an hour uh, just kind of going back and forth about like fonts and editorial design and I ended up living with it. 
So when uh, both of us, I mean, my role with DECA was always uh, like the graphic designer. I'd be making the Facebook cover photos, the provincial programs, this and that. And uh, my roommate got really into web design. He liked making websites. So naturally we have uh, this word of mouth bubble that starts to start about, oh, if you need like a website or anything designed, like Jake and Adrian are pretty good at this, right? So at a certain point, we're like, we can make money from this. So uh, my roommate went out and actually filed all the business papers. And uh, yeah, we just started taking on gigs when they came our way, making websites and brands. And uh, it was a really good experience. So that was less of a, uh, you know, big change of the world idea and a bit more of a, uh, hey, people will pay for this and we enjoy doing it anyways. So why not, right? Yeah, for sure. I feel like I know from um, my perspective, because I also work with graphic design and a lot of my friends who also do it, they're kind of just like, oh yeah, it's just kind of like a hobby, you know, it's, it's just like, oh yeah, I'll open it up, make something cool if I like it. But I don't think they, a lot of people realize that you could definitely go and make money off of this if you really like hone in your skills and you find like the right appeal and market for it. So yeah. That's... And I've never done this, but there's spots like Fiverr now. I mean, the, the gig economy is, it's real and it's alive. And if your work speaks for itself, you can easily make a buck or two on that too. So. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. So um, in addition to Tenfold Digital and Agency, we also saw you work with a company called Rockstars of Canada Ventures. Could you yeah. speak that a bit? So there was a, a guy who spoke at a DECA U conference. It's, it's kind of funny how DECA keeps coming back into these stories. <laughs> I swear it's, it's not planned. It actually just was the, the cornerstone of my life for about <laughs> uh, eight years. So uh, there's a guy who spoke at a DECA U conference about uh, an idea that he had for uh, a networking cafe in essence. All right. It's, it's sort of like a co-working space model meets cafe um so lower price point than that of like a we work i don't think the idea was that formed when i joined i think it was more like coffee brings people together let's try to do something with that and uh anyways i started talking to uh the guy who spoke at the conference um mainly about hockey actually big leafs fan go leafs go still a little bit upset we're out of the playoffs but uh started talking with him about hockey for a bit and um got a, a email a couple months later because uh, he needed someone to uh, help him manage social media at the time um, when it was just in an idea stage and then uh, jumped in with both feet and eventually uh, started you know working on a lot of it uh, a lot of the, a lot of different parts of the company and uh, yeah that's uh, that company it ended up being uh, when I left we had a web app live uh, we were looking for a space for a cafe and uh, it, was a, it was a really good learning experience overall, yeah. So from both of those experiences as like an entrepreneur, but also you said that you're very heavy in marketing and growth and graphic design. So we want your perspective on entrepreneurship through a marketing lens. What's your take on like starting a company when you're the marketing lead? That's, that's a good question. Um, so these are two sort of contrasting experiences. Uh, the one with the graphic design company, uh, my roommate and I had these skills. We were able to build a very good product and the product spoke for itself. So word of mouth went around and that's how we acquired customers. 
So marketing was, you know, very much on the back burner. I mean, I guess the essence of what we did was marketing to a degree, but uh, we didn't have to overtly go out and, and search for or look for any customers. They, uh, they kind of came to us. Whereas on the cafe um, side of things, uh, we had an idea. We had a functioning web app that maybe didn't have the clearest value proposition. And we needed to find ways to get people to come to us. So that was very heavily marketing versus product focused. Um, so a lot of the things that I did there were, were mainly editorial. Uh, we had a pretty well-performing blog where we'd interview uh, local entrepreneurs and get them to tell their story. Um, and then a lot of community building. So our email list was, was pretty strong by the end of it to the point where if we were gonna throw a pop-up event, we could send out an email or two and have anywhere between, let's say, 20 to 40 people show up. So marketing is very important when you're starting, but uh, in terms of like the entrepreneurial lens, looking through it, the most important thing is product and product market fit. Is there actually a need? And can your product actually solve that need? The, the first goal of marketing should be making sure that a need is being filled and then all of your copy, creative, whatever you're putting in the world supports the idea of this is the need it solves. Um, yeah, for sure. A lot of people, they just, they're really passionate about an idea and they really put like their blood, sweat and tears into it for sure. But then you really got to make sure that there really is, there is like a demand for your product there. Like people actually want and need to use this and for it to be successful. Like there are times where it's just like, oh, I'm going to like, I'm going to create a need for these people. Like my product's going to be so good that people are going to need it after they see it. And I know a lot of people have that mentality, but you know, sometimes you really do have to ground yourself, look around and go like, okay, so this is something that genuinely has a lot of demand and we can get like a huge ROI off of it. So yeah, I think that mm -hmm. was great advice. That was great speaking point there. And like to, to contrast that, I had some friends in university who started a moving company. Okay. And they're like, we're, we're going to rent a couple trucks, uh, hire a couple of our friends to lift furniture, and we're going to do a moving company. It's about finding like a real need and solving it in a, in a way that you can. So uh, yeah, product, uh, market fit, and then actually closing sales. Like that's, that's what it comes mm -hmm. down to in the end of the day, right? Yeah, for sure. Like for pure success, I definitely agree. But like, again, a lot of people also say you must, you should take into account your passions, right? Like. Mm -hmm. I don't know, like, there are quite a few occupations out there that are quite well paying, but you know, they might be too demanding or just it not, might not be what your, your heart really wants. So I know like, there's definitely like a balance to that as well. I'd agree a thousand percent. And then the sweet spot is where that and the world's needs come into mind. I mean, mm -hmm. the, the overbeaten example is Elon Musk and Tesla, right? Mm. Yeah, Tesla, Solar City, SpaceX. This guy is, is trying to save the world, like <laughs> with everything he does. Yeah, or at least that's sure. what his image is, right? So, yeah, it's really the intersection of like your skills, uh, the world's needs, and then what you enjoy doing. So, yeah, I agree 100% mm. with that. And I think yeah. that really right. comes down to obsessing over a problem instead of obsessing over a solution. And that's the way yes. that you really find product market fit. And Elon Musk, the example, he's obsessed with saving the world. He's not obsessed with Tesla or SpaceX or any of Hyperloop, any of his other projects. So that's... Mm -hmm. just and the hard part of that is it's people love talking about the solutions more than the problems. So that's where it kind of turns into the gray area. But yeah, 
problem first absolutely all right yeah so like just what we were talking about but again we always have to look on the brighter side of things right so our question for you is what do you think was your biggest accomplishment as a co-founder of those two companies and you know what what was the proudest moment you had despite all the challenges you guys went through that's a that's a good question um my proudest moment was probably the uh the first sale i ended up closing for this digital agency with uh, with my roommate at the time first of all pricing something for the creative economy is one of the most backwards problems that you can ever come across like how much do you pay for a logo there's this notorious story of like the nike logo costed I, i'm gonna misquote me so so it's something like the the nike swoosh costed i think it was like 27 dollars right and now mm. this logo is worth like billions, right? I remember I was walking into this meeting with my roommates and we had a number in mind for how much this website project was going to be. And for your first sale, like how do you, how do you choose how much your work is worth? There's not really a baseline. It, I remember five minutes before we walked in, I said to my roommate uh, after reading like a blog on like negotiation or something, I'm like, hey, um, the first number we should say should be should be double double the number that we're actually thinking we do it for. And it's like, uh, no, no, no way we no way it's worth double double has to be double. We walk in, we say double, and the guy goes, oh, like that's half of what I paid for my last website. That's amazing, and we're like, okay, <laughs> like so it was, uh, yeah, it was a it was a big win because you know. You, you got to be proud of, of the small steps, right? It's uh, yeah, the first sale. It's always the, the hardest and it's always the most rewarding when it, uh, when it finally happens. All right. So we're going to segue into talking more about your role at Shoelace right now. Do you want to explain to our listeners and to us what Shoelace is and what its product market fit is? Yeah, of course. So we are uh, an app on the Shopify store. Okay. So we work with, we also work with non-Shopify clients, but essentially what we do is we run uh, advertisements for them on paid social. So whether that's Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Pinterest, uh, specializing in Facebook and Instagram. Our philosophy is that by using uh, data appropriately, you can create way better experiences for, for customers. Uh, nobody likes going on a website and seeing the same photo of the shoes you looked at for five weeks straight. Uh, so we'll use, you know, data and information on, uh, on the customers and their activities to give them a better advertising experience and make more money for our, uh, for our clients at the end of the day. Yeah. All right. Perfect. So, um, I know something that I was a little confused about, uh, when I was looking at your position at Shoelace is that you have a title called growth and I don't know that's something I've personally never seen before and I hope I'm not the only one but uh, do you mind if you tell us a little bit more about your position specifically yeah of course I mean we are uh, we're a pretty small team of 45 people and then the uh, sales and marketing side of the island is uh, three people mm-hmm. it's a little bit of everything so my job primarily deals with uh, top to middle funnel of the sales process. So when someone shows interest, it's how do we best move that further down and closer to a sale? So how do you deal with a lot of complexity, a lot of different information, identify the people who are most likely to sell and get them um, into a position to buy? 
So to figuring out how we can best build out our website's uh, sales funnel uh, to you know, push people to get on a call with an AU. So the, the reason why I use growth is because it's probably, I'd say 60, 40 sales to marketing roles. Um, but I use that term because it's a little bit of everything. It's a fun position. Yeah, for sure. That sounds really interesting for sure. And I don't know, like, I, I definitely like diving into a bit of everything because, you know, sometimes just graphic design, graphic design, graphic design gets a little jarring at one point for like the designer, especially if you're just staring at a screen, like sometimes, you know, bouncing around different positions, um, helping out other people's jobs and just growing the company in general, I think super fun as well. Um, another speaking point, you mentioned this just earlier about how pricing for like marketing or like design industry is completely backwards. And that's, I found that really, really interesting actually, because I have seen a lot of videos where like people are like, oh, how, how should I price this logo? And I looked at the head, heading and I was like, why do you need to ask this question, right? Like, it, don't, isn't there like an industry standard? But definitely there is not. So um, how has Shoelace kind of adapted their, like how, how, how are you guys working with your pricing scheme specifically to work in such a crazy dynamic market? Yeah, that is a phenomenal question. So First of all, our product has evolved from running uh, these things called dynamic product ads on Facebook, which essentially is you look at a product, that product shows up. It used to be very labor intensive. Uh, you'd have to put code on your website. At that time, you were charging people about $19 a month, whereas our average client is over 1000 a month now. So the, the pricing uh, really is, is a question that we, we still struggle with. Part of our company's product focus, the other part's service focus, they kind of go hand in hand. So we can't price exactly like a SaaS company would, but we can't price exactly like a full service agency would. So it's, uh, it's one of those things that I think um, basically anything in the service industry is going to fight with and is going to fight with for the history of their existence. How, do you, how much do you charge a logo? If it's my first logo, probably not that many. If I've made 100,000 logos, well, still, is this going to be the Nike that I make or is it just going to be another logo? Like, it's something that you can't really predict with extreme certainty what the end value is going to be. So, yeah, pricing in any type of creative market is difficult. Uh, at the end of the day, as long as we're making our clients more than it costs, that it pays for us and then some, uh, it's definitely a success, you know? Yeah, I think that's totally insightful, especially that point on thinking of, marketing as a service like i i really like that idea because like it's such a unique industry where it's it's like the service industry where like the more reputable you are the higher you can charge base because it's just again it's like it's human relations it's um like a service that i'm providing to you it's not just like oh i'm gonna, I'm gonna sell you this logo it's like i'm gonna work alongside with you I'm going to see what um, this client wants and then create something together. And yeah, I totally think that's incredibly interesting thing. You have marketing as a service rather like at the service industry rather than just like selling a product one by one. And it's funny because some clients will come to us and say, this is way too expensive. Others will come in and be like, this is the cheapest like, uh, alternative <laughs> that I've looked at. So it also depends on the client you're serving that uh, mm -hmm. determines if it's a good price or bad price. So going back to the term again, product market fit is the, mm -hmm. uh, the biggest thing you got to pick out, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like alongside just having 
the skills to like optimize um, like sitemaps or to create uh, unique graphics for your client. Like human relations is definitely such a, like I think that in any industry actually is just so important because, you know, if you, like if you develop rapport with your clients, like everything else would go so much smoother. Um, the whole experience would be nicer and like the end product would also be better. Can you give us a walkthrough of what a typical day in your job would look like? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So the first thing I do is I come in and I look across uh, all of our lead channels. So I say, okay, did anything come in overnight in terms of someone installing the app, in terms of someone uh, submitting a form on our website, this and that, uh, see who's qualified and I'll do, I'll, uh, I'll try to get out all those emails, all those calls, whatever has to happen uh, as early as possible. I like to block off, let's say like a two to three hour chunk, a couple of those during a day to tackle a project. So right now we're looking to hire. So I'm putting a lot of time into uh, what does this person's first week look like? Let's build out activities for them to do. How, they, how can they ramp up quick in the position? In terms of marketing, if we have a big campaign coming up, it's all right, how do we promote and distribute this? Um, mainly through, uh, I'm in charge of our email list. So uh, how do we get people to engage with this type of marketing material? Um, and then uh, sometimes, I guess, one of the other parts that I'll work on is uh, sort of like the data in, in the email system. So how do we know if someone even is a customer? How can we confirm that? How can we confirm if they're not a customer? How can we confirm, you know, out of the tens of thousands of people here, which ones are actually worth the time of reaching out to right now? So a lot of analytic work like that. So it changes every day. But really the consistence are, uh, where is the revenue to be made and how can I move that closer to a sale? Yeah, amazing. So um, along with just <clears throat> your day-to-day -day experiences, how has that changed amid, amidst the pandemic? I really miss the social part of the office. Uh, I mean, we had the pretty stereotypical startup office with coffee and snacks and ping pong and darts and... Uh, whiteboards everywhere. I love that. Uh, so I, I am missing that a little bit. But on the other hand, I find it a lot easier to uh, make significant progress on important projects. Um, it's a bit of a luxury to be able to close the door to my bedroom, uh, to throw on the headphones, and then look up from the screen three hours later and realize how much you've done. And then, and lastly, I mean, we do ads for online stores. Uh, the only way people can sell right now is online. It's been very, very good from a sales and marketing standpoint in terms of uh, the demand is there. And our question is, how do we best capitalize on that demand? Mm -hmm. Yeah, with everything moving online, for sure, there has been such a drastic change in industry trends. It's, uh, working in marketing, especially like for businesses online, um, what do you think are like the most important industry trends that you see? And how do you, I guess, how would you guys capitalize on those? And what would you guys really look out for day to day? I think I'd say, and you kind of alluded to this, direct, con direct to consumer is, is the future. I mean, you're seeing so many of these companies, uh, like a great example of this is Kylie Cosmetics, uh, made by one of the, the Kardashian girls is an incredibly, incredibly, incredibly successful cosmetics company. Uh, if you were to say to someone 10 years ago that you're going to have an incumbent into the market, basically dethrone some of the, the major, major players in makeup and cosmetics, 
they'd laugh at you. They'd say, oh, this person is just going to sell online directly to people while people are already coming to us, right? Like mm -hmm. that's not going to happen, right? So direct consumer is huge. I mean, if you two were to buy a mattress right now, do you know where you'd buy it from? Costco. Costco. A lot of people, uh, you hear the answers of like um, Casper or Endy now, if you're familiar with those names. Mm, yeah, um, definitely heard of that. Yeah, so instead of walking into a sleep country, people are getting a mattress delivered to their door. So uh, direct-to-consumer is definitely one of, the, one of the big trends that's doing very well. But with that, there's this huge problem of like unit economics right now. Um, a lot of these companies used to be able to be very, very successful because it was very cheap to acquire customers online. People weren't advertising that much on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, whatnot, and it was cheap. Um, recently there was an article, uh, I'm not sure if you guys have show notes, I can send you a link to it, but it was, uh, the unit economics of one of these mattress companies and they would be better off instead of putting their marketing budget towards paid social to put $400, it was three or $400 in the mattress and just ship it off to the person for free <laughs> because they're losing money. Yeah. So what we're basically seeing is these costs of advertising are going way up. So uh, the way to capitalize on direct consumer is, I'd say, is owned media channels. Retention is where the real money is at. So mm. if you can own your email list, if you can build a community, if you can reach this audience for free, uh, that is how you win this game right now. Um, I think we have only a couple more questions. I just wanted to like narrow down on this and kind of confirm and wrap up everything we've talked about. So do you want to specify which aspect of growth is your favorite, whether it be sales, which we already know it isn't, or graphic <laughs> design, or? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, I'd say the biggest would be, um, how do you make your brand one that people want to talk about, that people uh, care about, that people share with their friends? Um, for us at Shoelace, it's a pretty simple mission that we like to say, and it's uh, who likes annoying ads? Put your hands up if you like annoying ads. No, no one does. Everyone hates annoying ads. So for me, it's I get to chip away at a problem that I can say is universally despised. People don't like annoying ads. If I can make them a little bit better, that's, that's what I want to get behind. So um, growth is figuring out uh, you know, where you can make that little impact uh, that people care about. Mm. And we're going to wrap up with this question. What's next? You can talk about what your goals are, what for your personal life, your goals for your role in Shoelace, where you see yourself in 10 years, 20 years. Uh, I am in my second year living in Toronto right now. I know one thing, and it's that I love the city. So in 10 years, I probably see myself still here. It's... Uh, whether it's Toronto or another city, I just, I love the idea of city life. I like the buzz. I like the different foods and cultures you can come into contact with. It's something that uh, I came from a very small town just outside of uh, Hamilton. And uh, it's the diversity here in, in everything, in things to do, food, people is, is amazing. So definitely in, in a city uh, for one in terms of uh, what's next. Um, for at least the near future, probably doing exactly what I'm doing, but uh, maybe get a few more technical skills under the belt. Thanks for tuning into our first episode. 
This podcast is brought to you by Deck Ontario. Deck Ontario's business baseline empowers listeners to make connections in the business world and in their own lives. We've got many more episodes in the pipeline, so be sure to subscribe and tune in.